So uh, today we get to continue this series, Rebuild, and I want to start by talking about Marvel movies. Are you a fan? If so, who's your favorite character? All right, maybe it's this guy right here, Iron Man. Yeah, we got some Iron Man fans. That's great. How about this right here, uh, Spider-Man? I couldn't decide between Spider-Man and Captain America, so I kind of did both, you know? Uh, maybe you like uh, the Avengers when they're all together. It's like everybody is teamed up. Those are great. Or perhaps your sense of humor is just a little bit off, and so you're into this group right here, the Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if you're a fan. You might be going like, yeah, you know, superhero movies, not really my thing. But you have to admit that Marvel movies change the way that people watch movies. And it's not because the characters are so compelling. It's not because the writing is so fantastic. It's not even because the visual effects are so stunning. It has to do with the credits, okay? So the credits of the movie. You know how this goes. You go to the movie theater, you sit down, you got your popcorn, you watch the movie, the credits roll, you get up and you leave. Not with Marvel movies. Because they did this thing where they would put these scenes, these secret scenes at the end of the credits, and if you didn't stay and watch the whole thing, then you would miss this secret scene that like revealed something important about the next movies. And so the, the post-credit scenes like changed the way that people watched movies and probably really frustrated the people that cleaned the theaters. It's like, come on, really? Now we only have about 30 seconds to clean this place. So uh, the reason I bring this up, this whole deal about movie credits, is because the passage of scripture we're going to be looking at today, spending some time in, Nehemiah chapter 3, it feels a lot like movie credits to me. So if this is your first weekend with us, or maybe first weekend in a long time, we're in this series called Rebuild. It's, it's from the book of Nehemiah, Old Testament book, written, this is a shocker, by a guy named Nehemiah. It's like a, a memoir, and it's mostly about this project that God called him to, the rebuilding of the walls in Jerusalem. And if you were to read the book, I hope you're reading through it right now, it's it's, it's great. I mean, it is, it is like compelling. It moves. There's villains. There's heroes. There's conflict. I mean, it has everything for a great story, except for chapter three, which is, I'll be honest, kind of boring. It feels a lot like movie credits. Let me, let me just show you what I mean. So this comes from Nehemiah chapter three, uh, verse three. Here we go. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hesanah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshulam, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshezabel, made repairs. And next to them, or him, Zadok, son of Banah, also made repairs. And it just goes on like this. For 32 verses, the entire chapter is just this guy, and that's where he was from, and this was his dad, and that's the section of wall that he repaired. And I would read you the whole thing, all 32 verses, but the names get a lot harder. And so I just thought, let's not. <laughs> but, you know, the thing about a passage of Scripture like this is... Uh, if you're reading through your Bible, like I know some of you do that, like reading through the Bible in a year, you get to a chapter like this and you're like, uh, skim it, <laughs> skip it, you know, because it's like, I don't know what to do with this. Uh, all these details. And some of you have a life verse. 
I can guarantee that your life verse does not include the words fishgate, right? There's nothing from this chapter that are on some inspirational mug somewhere or, you know, on, a, on a, something that you would put up on your wall. And so it's like, what do you do with a chapter like this? Because uh, movie credits, they're just not that exciting, right? Ah, unless you were in the movie, <laughs> unless you were part of the production crew, unless you were an extra in the movie, then it's like you're watching the credits and you're like, right there, that's my name, yes, because there's this sense of like, I was part of that. I was a part of that big thing. And I think that's kind of what I wanna talk about today. This idea of I was part of that. I was part of something significant. That had meaning, that had real purpose. Because the deal is, uh, up until now in this series, we've been talking about rebuilding in the sense of like, okay, there's something broken in your life and you need to rebuild it. And I know that many of us are going through a rebuild right now. And that is, that's amazing, that is great, and I hope you keep pressing forward in that. But today, the conversation is really more about building as in making your life count, as in being part of something that really matters. And I just know that that's what all of us want. We all want our lives to count. We all wanna be part of something significant. So let me ask you an important question. Do you feel like you have significant purpose in your life right now? If you think about your life, do you go, okay, yeah, this really matters? Or are you just in a season where you feel kind of aimless, a little lost, kind of apathetic? Today is an opportunity to step into a greater purpose in your life. I just believe that God could meet us in this scripture and call us into something significant. This today is an invitation into greater significance and purpose. And so as we explore this strange movie credits kind of chapter of Nehemiah's book, we're gonna discover three invitations into a life of greater significance and greater purpose. And uh, here's the first invitation right here. Build for others. Now, again, when you encounter a passage of scripture like, uh, like this one, it's kind of like, what, what do I do with this? How do I understand what's important? Is there any application here at all? And uh, something I thought would be helpful. Uh, does anybody remember this? Okay, if you've been part of Ada Bible Church for a few years, a couple years back, we did a series. It's called uh, The Company of Christ. And uh, we were all reading through the Gospel of Mark together. And we did these exercises, um, you can find it, uh, not that you have one, but I found it on page four, put it up on the screen for you. We did this thing where as we were reading through the scriptures, uh, one of the days we circled the characters, another day we underlined the places, another day we boxed the actions. Does anybody remember doing this? Yeah, okay. So um, I still do this kind of stuff when I'm studying scriptures. And part of what I wanna to say to you today is you should do it because it actually is really helpful. So for this passage of scripture, as I was studying this a few weeks ago, I was underlining the places because I think they're significant in understanding what matters 
in this passage. And so let me show you just a couple examples. We'll be jumping all over this chapter. Uh, Verse two, the men of Jericho, so it's like underline the city, built the adjoining section. The next section, talking about the wall, was repaired by the men of Tekoa. Next to them, repairs were made by men from Gibeon and Mizpah. And one last verse here, the valley gate was repaired by Hanun and the residents of Zenoa. And so you read through this chapter, and if you took the time to kind of underline the places, you would notice there's a bunch of cities or a bunch of towns mentioned here. And it just strikes me that none of these cities are Jerusalem. And so what you have is a bunch of people traveling from other cities to Jerusalem to build the wall there. And it's like, this is not their city. These are not their people. This is not their wall. They are rebuilding a wall that will not protect them. This wall will protect somebody else in somebody else's family. And I just think this is really important as we talk about what does it look like to live a life of significance and purpose. And the reality is, something I think Nehemiah is pointing out here, is that sometimes the most significant building that you will do will not be for you. It will be for somebody else. We're talking about building for others. There is significance and purpose to be experienced in how we build for and into other people. So you may have heard uh, in the news or on social media how there is like a housing issue in our city, in the greater Grand Rapids area. Some have even called it a housing crisis. The deal is uh, there just are not enough affordable homes in relationship to people and families who need affordable homes, and so there's a housing crisis. Well, I heard about a, a group of guys here in our church. These are guys who are part of our men's ministry, and they, they want to do something about this. And so they got connected with a ministry in our city, a nonprofit called ICCF. You may have heard of them. They, just, they do incredible work in this area of affordable housing. And so this group of guys, they started showing up at a house that was in really bad shape, and over a series of months, I got a picture here, they just, they gutted the place and then they restored it. They like rehabbed this entire house. And this took hours and hours and weeks and months, these guys pouring themselves into this project. But now this house is ready for a family to move into it. And better than that, these guys are moving on to a second house. And just think about this for a moment. Think about being one of those guys. Now, anytime one of those guys drives through that neighborhood, drives by that house, they can go, I was part of that. I was part of what God did there. And I think what they're discovering, what they already know, is that sometimes the most significant building that you can do, it won't be for you. It'll be for somebody else. You know, there's a a married couple in my life, uh, we're friends, I'm I'm guessing they're in their 50s, Uh, they got older kids, and one of the things that they do as kind of a ministry together is they, uh, they mentor younger married couples. And recently they were telling me about a couple that they became aware of who was going through a really difficult stretch in their marriage, younger couple, and the reason was unfaithfulness in the relationship. 
And this older couple that I'm friends with, they were going, okay, I think we can help them. I think we have something to offer them. And the reason is that they experienced unfaithfulness in their relationship like 20 years back. And they described for me how that was just, as you can imagine, such a difficult time for them. But God, through his grace, enabled them to rebuild their marriage. And I'm telling you, now they have a thriving marriage. And they're just going, we think we can help them. We want to walk with them. We think we have something valuable to share with them. You see, they understand something, and that is often in life, the most significant building that you can do will not be for you. It will be for someone else. There is incredible purpose and significance in pouring yourself out for others, building into other people. And I just wonder, who built into you? I mean, if, if your life had movie credits, scrolling names of people who invested in you, encouraged you, walked with you, maybe came alongside and challenged you at a key moment in your life, whose names would be in those credits? Who built into you? You know, there was somebody in my life, uh, youth pastor. I was a freshman in high school. And this youth pastor said, hey, I think you're a leader. And so I want to invite you to be a part of the youth group leadership team. Now, that might sound pretty cheesy to you. <laughs> but it was a big deal for me at that stage in my life. Because I did not think of myself as a leader. I was very timid. I was apathetic. I was pretty aimless at that point in my life. And so for somebody that I looked up to and respected to go, hey, I think you're a leader. He called something out in me. And I'm telling you, that changed my life. He built into me. And so I wonder, who, who built into you? And the, the beautiful thing about building into other people, investing in other people, this honors God. This really honors our God. And, and more than that, I, I believe this behavior reflects the person of Jesus who came for us, entered into our world, gave himself for us, and in a very real way built into us through what he accomplished through the cross. And I guess what I'm saying is when you build into others, not only does that honor God, but it reflects Jesus in the world around you. It's a very powerful thing. There's incredible purpose to be experienced there. And so as we talk about this, I just wonder if God is bringing somebody to mind. Somebody in your life that you just sense God going, I want you, I want you to move toward that person. I want you to invest in that relationship. I want you to build into that person. It could be that there is incredible significance and purpose to be experienced in that relationship. So we're talking about living a life that counts. And Nehemiah says, look, there was a bunch of people from over there, some other city who came in to Jerusalem and helped rebuild. If you just read through the passage and mark the places, you can discover some, uh, some important meaning for us. But uh, it's not just people who built over there. It's also, this is a second invitation, people who built at home. And so we discover, again, just paying attention to the details of this chapter and the kind of the places that are mentioned, 
Uh, we discover this, verse 23. Beyond them, Benjamin and Hashub made repairs in front of their house. And above the horse gate, the priests made repairs, each in front of his own house. Zadok, son of Emmer, made repairs opposite his house. And Meshulam, son of Berechiah, made repairs opposite his living quarters. And so he just got repeated a bunch of times right next to their house, right outside their house. And, you know, I just get the impression that some of the people, they packed bags, they brought supplies to stay for like months to build this wall. And other people, they opened their front door, they took about five steps, and they just went to work right there, right in front of them, right at home. And I think this just reveals something important for us. Often there is significant building to do right in front of you. There is incredible purpose for you right in front of you. I mean, you could trip over it. And I think we have to be honest, this is kind of counterintuitive. Because when you think about doing something significant, your mind usually goes to like big right? Like I want to do something significant. I want to do something big. I don't want to just repair a house. I want to solve the whole housing crisis. You feel God moving in your life and you're going, ah, maybe I need to go into full-time ministry. Maybe I need to quit my job and start a nonprofit. Maybe I need to become a missionary and move across the world. We think significance, it means big. And you know what? It could be that God is calling you to some big, audacious goal. But I just need to remind you that some of the most significant things that you will do in your life are right in front of you. I mean, you could trip over them. Right in your neighborhood, right down the street, right in your apartment complex. There's an elderly lady that lives right down the street. She's lonely. And just what would it look like to, to, to be with her, to play cards with her, to listen to her stories and her memories, maybe to help her out with yard work or housework? There's, just, there's significant opportunity right in front of you. You know, back when I was in high school, uh, you know, this youth pastor that I got connected with, one of the things we did in our youth group is we went on mission trips. And when I was in high school, I went on three of them to three different big cities, Chicago, Toronto, and New York City. And every one of these mission trips was the same deal. We would go out and we would share Jesus with people. And I'm talking like on the street. I'm talking, talking to homeless people and just whoever was out there. And if you're thinking, well, that sounds terrifying, it was. It's incredibly intimidating. But God did something in me through those experiences. He stirred up in me a passion to share Jesus with people. Now, I was a teenager, and teenagers are often full of passion and, and want to do something significant with their lives. And so I was thinking big. I was thinking, okay, I want to share Jesus. Maybe I need to become a missionary. Maybe I need to move someplace where there's just tons and tons of people who don't know Jesus so I can share Jesus with them. And then God kind of got my attention, and he was like, dude, Sometimes God does say dude, by the way. <laughs> Maybe just to me, I don't know. <laughs> dude, you're already in a massive mission field. It just dawned on me. Like, hello, high school. <laughs> 
It's like every day, hundreds of people in the same building, many of them who are not following Jesus, many who don't know Jesus. And I just realized, it just hit me, this might be the biggest mission field that I'll ever be on. And so I just tried to lean into that opportunity. And so those of you who are students, middle school, high school, college, you have an incredible opportunity right in front of you, right here at home, to live out your faith in Jesus with the decisions that you make, the values that you hold, the way that you serve people, the way that you love the people around you, and the way that you share the gospel of Jesus with the people in your life. This is an incredible opportunity. Some of the most significant building that you will ever do in your life is right in front of you. It's right at home. So Nehemiah, he's describing these people that are right outside their house. I mean, they're just down the street a little bit and they're rebuilding the wall. And it's just interesting to think, the, the, you know, among this group, there's probably parents who are building walls that will literally protect their own families. They're, they are creating security for their own kids. And so I think it's important as we talk about building at home, I mean, we literally mean building at home. And so can I take a second and just Talk to those of you who are parents. Now, I just recognize I'm a parent. My wife, Katie, and I, we have five kids. And sometimes when you're a parent, it can feel like you have to put significant things on hold in order to raise your kids. Some of you, especially moms, you may have had to pause a career. Others of you had to, to pause a significant ministry opportunity, a volunteering role, so that you could raise your kids. And I understand what this feels like, is there are stages of parenting where you just go, all it is is diapers and PB&Js and laundry, that's all I do, and it doesn't feel very purposeful. And then your kids get older and you're like, all I do is drive around and pay for things. I am an Uber and an ATM, that is it. Gas and cash, this is my existence. And there's this part of you that goes, man, I just can't wait until I can get back to doing things that, that really matter, that are really significant again. Can I remind you of something? Raising your kids is probably the most significant thing you will ever do. Raising your children to know and follow Jesus I think this is the most significant thing that you will ever do. And so I just want to encourage you, this matters. This counts, probably like nothing else counts. And so lean into this, enjoy this, and remember that it matters. And also, just a challenge, don't miss these days. Don't miss these stages. Don't be distracted by your career or whatever else. I would hate for you to look back on these days when your kids are in the house with you and just go, ah, I wish I would have invested more. I wish I would have built into them more. This matters. It's so significant. Build at home. There's incredible purpose to be experienced here. 
So we got this chapter, Nehemiah chapter 3. It's, it's boring. It's just details. It's just so-and-so, his dad, and he built here, and then that, and this, and that. And it's like, what do you do with this? Well, paying attention to the places reveals some meaning for us, some application. And uh, it's just one more invitation to a life of purpose that I think is incredibly important for us is this right here, build together. Now, something I've learned when reading the scriptures, and I think this could be helpful for you as you're reading the Bible at home, is pay attention to what's repeated. If there's a phrase, if there's a word that's repeated over and over again, it's very likely that it's important, that it matters. Perhaps the author was trying to emphasize something. And so you may have already noticed this as we've been reading through a couple of these verses, but there is a phrase that's repeated a ridiculous amount of times. Let's, let's look at a couple examples. And Zakur, son of Imri, built next to them. Next to them, repairs were made by men from Gibeon and Mizpah. Next to him, the repairs were made by the Levites. The repairs next to him were made by the priests from the surrounding region. You get this phrase over and over again, next to him or next to them or adjacent to them, adjoining them, beyond them. It's repeated so many times. You just go, okay, I think this is important. I think Nehemiah was trying to emphasize something here. And I think he's trying to emphasize sort of the community nature of this rebuild project. This project was very much a shoulder-to-shoulder, we're building together operation. And I think this is so significant. Because what you have in this story is you have an incredibly diverse group of people coming together, united under a common mission. A diverse group of people. I mean, we already said we got people from Jerusalem, then we got people from other, other cities and towns. We have men and we have women. We have people who work in the temple. We have people who work out in the fields. We have important people and we have nobodies. You have rulers and you have servants. It's an incredibly diverse group of people that wouldn't normally be together in anything. And here they are, shoulder to shoulder, rebuilding these walls. But we already know this is more than rebuilding walls. This is not just about putting Jerusalem back on the map. This is not just about the security of the city. Nehemiah has told us that this project is about restoring the honor and the reputation of the God of Israel in this place. And my friends, this is a picture, a beautiful picture of what the church is. An incredibly diverse group of people brought together by the cross of Christ into a common mission, this community, this family, where now, though we're so different, we serve shoulder to shoulder together in the service of Christ. Now, something that might be obvious to you is you probably don't have a whole lot in common with the people in front of you and behind you here if you're intending in person. I mean, you probably have different backgrounds probably have different jobs. You might have different skin color. You probably come from different economic brackets. You, you probably vote differently. And I don't want to freak you out. You probably root for different college teams. And yet here we are together, like a family, 
shoulder to shoulder, common mission, though we are incredibly diverse in who we are. The Apostle Paul, uh, an important leader in the early church, wrote a lot of the New Testament. He describes this in a very beautiful way in uh, his letter to Christians living in Colossae. We call the book Colossians. Check this out. He says, here, here, he's talking about the church, the body of Christ, here there is no Gentile or Jew, no circumcised or uncircumcised, no barbarian, no Scythian, no slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And it's just this idea that in the first century, if you stumbled upon a house church, you'd be like, what in the world is this? Masters and slaves? Romans and Jews? This doesn't make any sense. But this is the power of the cross, the power of the gospel. It bridges every divide. And the cross strips away everything that could divide us, and it makes us one. And because of this, I believe there is incredible meaning, significance, and purpose to be experienced right here in the church. I mean, some of the most meaningful experiences of your life will happen here if you are truly engaged in this community. And it's the power of the cross at work. And some of you have experienced this. Some of you are part of a small group. And the way it started is there was this event, it's called group launch, everybody's around these tables, and so you find yourself sitting at a table with a bunch of people you don't really know, and it's like, okay, after tonight, we're going to be a small group. And you're going like, this could be a train wreck. I mean, the opportunity for awkward and weird is like off the charts. But over time, over weeks, in somebody's living room or, or some classroom here at your campus, relationships were built, bonds were made, and you felt for yourself how the cross strips away everything that could divide but what really took that community to the next level was a crisis. Because somebody in your small group went through an, just an unbelievably hard time. And it was how your small group came together, rallied around that person in that situation, and shoulder to shoulder together walked with them through that. You experienced something special, something unique. It's called the church. It's called the body of Christ in action. I'm just telling you, some of the most meaningful experiences that you will have in your life will happen here because of what Jesus has done. And many of you know that there are incredibly significant things that happen here in this building every weekend right down the hall in our children's ministry area, Discovery Village. Because what happens there is a bunch of adult believers go shoulder to shoulder together investing in the faith of the next generation. And this is huge. Because these kids will grow up to be moms and dads. These children will grow up to be leaders and servants. These kids will grow up to tell their friends about Jesus. They will impact their communities and their cities because of their connection to Jesus. And when you build into these kids, it's an opportunity to just go, I was a part of that. As you watch a kid begin to know and follow Jesus, you can go, I was a part of what God did there. And it's such a powerful, meaningful, purpose-filled experience. 
Now, some of you might just be going like, that is so cool. That is so awesome. And I'm telling you, I am not qualified to serve in the church. You're going like, I don't have the skills. You know, you see people up leading worship. It's like, I can't do that. Children's ministry, you're going, I, I don't know how to say this out loud. I don't like kids, you know. You might be going, I, I, don't, I don't know the Bible like a lot of you people do. And so I just don't feel qualified to really serve like this. Okay, I got to show you my favorite verse this one could become your life first. From Nehemiah chapter 3, I love this because it just says something about who's qualified and who's not. Verse 8, Uziel, son of Harhiah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section. And Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. I just love imagining this scene. Dude comes up to Nehemiah and his coworkers. Hey, I'm here to help rebuild the wall. Awesome, glad to have you. What are your skills? I make perfume. It's like, what do we do with this guy? Well, there's the dung gate. We could really use some perfume over by the dung gate. But it's like, okay, what does a perfume maker know about making a wall? And actually, if you read through this whole chapter, all 32 verses, there are zero people that are described as stonemasons or engineers. And of course, I'm sure there were people who knew what they were doing, but it seems that Nehemiah seems to be emphasizing this, like just regular people showed up and decided to jump in and get involved, and God did something awesome. And again, that is a picture of the church. Uh, movie credits, let me show you something. This right here, movie credits for Ada Bible Church. This is a sample of a bunch of people who serve here in our church in a variety of different ways. Some of them highly skilled musicians, some of them going, hey, I, I make perfume, you know, put me to work. And the thing about movie credits is, um, well, they're boring. I mean, it's like nobody stays for the movie credits unless you were part of the show, unless you were part of the production team, unless you served in the church, because then you have an opportunity to go, I was a part of that. And I was a part of what God did there. And the thing about our church, and it's not because we're some awesome church, it's because of the activity of Jesus. There are incredible things happening in our church all the time. With kids coming to understand that God loves them and has a plan for their life. Marriages being restored, addictions being left behind, lives transformed because of Jesus and what he has done. And it's just an opportunity when you step into the life of the church to go, I, I was a part of that. I am a part of that. I am a part of what God is doing in this place. And so this is an invitation into a life of greater purpose. I am inviting you to step in the life of the church through community, through serving. It's kind of like, man, get in the game. If your life, if you're going, I, you know, I wish I had more purpose. I wish I felt more significance. Some of the greatest meaning that you will experience will be here. And so I just want to challenge you, as you leave today, stop by our next steps area in the atrium. Have a conversation with one of our volunteers about where you could get plugged in. And if you're only a perfume maker, we'll figure it out. We'll find a spot for you. If you're watching online, if you got to leave right after the service, Ada Bible Info, this is your spot. You can click this little button, serve, all kinds of options. Just pick something that sounds interesting. We'll figure it out. It's not a lifelong commitment. 
We'll figure it out. So final question as we wrap up. Where are you going to build this week? Where are you going to build this week? Three invitations that we looked at. Build for others. Build at home. Build together. Where are you going to build this week? It's an invitation into a life of greater purpose, partnering with God and what he's doing in the world. I challenge you to take a step into this life of greater purpose and significance. And so, Heavenly Father, as we close up our time, God, we're grateful for your scriptures. Even the sections of scripture that we go, why is this here? (laughs) What are you doing? And we just realize that your word is inspired. It's powerful. Even a list like this has the power to transform us. And so, God, we just give you honor for how you have revealed yourself in your scriptures. And, God, you know you made us. You made us for significance and purpose and meaning. And God, would you pull us into this as we connect with you in the life of your church? God, we love you. We honor you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, just a reminder as you go, uh, if you need a conversation, prayer, we'll have some leaders, some elders up in front here in all of our campuses. And swing by next steps on your way out. Find a place to serve. Hey, we'll see you next week.